Great. Great. Fantastic. Let me break into your conversations there. Um, you'll have plenty of time after the service. There's some food. That smell is real. There is food after the service. So please do carry on those conversations uh, afterwards as well. Um, but now what we're going to do is actually we're going to turn to the Bible. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, um, it's a book that we believe is, is God's word. This is God speaking to us today. Uh, now, if you don't have a Bible, please do stick a hand in, your, in the air and somebody will bring one round to you. It'd be great if you have one uh, in view uh, for you as well. Because we believe the word, is, the word of God is living and active. That is how God speaks to us, and we want to listen to him. Um, and for the next few minutes, I just want to tell you what this book says. It's not just my thoughts. I, I don't want to stand up here just going, oh, this is what I think is cool. It's, we want to listen to God. Uh, that is what we believe at this church. Um, and right now, we, what we tend to do in this church is to look through different books of the Bible. There are various books, uh, and we're looking through a book called John uh, at the moment. And don't worry, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, I'll just give a very quick update uh, so you know what we're up to. Um, but I'd love you to have a Bible in open in front of you so you can see where this is all coming from, so you know that it's not just me just making things up, that, that we can see it together ourselves. Um, yep, so we're going to turn to John's Gospel. So if you're not familiar with that, if you go about two-thirds, you'll see it's all the New Testament, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, that's where it is. It'd be helpful to have a church Bible. Have you, have you got church Bibles? Can someone give me a page number? 1,089. Thank you, Rajiv. 1,089. Uh, so John's Gospel. And then we're in John chapter 20, starting at verse 11. Great. So I'm going to read it, uh, we'll just follow it through. And then we're going to dive into it. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let me just ask for God's help before we dive in. I'm going to pray. And praying is just speaking to our Father in heaven. And that's what I'm going to do now. So let's pray together. Lord, please still our hearts. Grant us peace as we come to your word now. Father, by your spirit, help us to hear your voice, hear what you want to speak to us about today. Amen. Amen. Right, so to just give you a really quick recap to where we have got to. So Jesus, there's a man called Jesus. Um, he's in the Middle East in Nazareth about some 2,000 years ago, and he's been doing some wonderful and amazing things. He's been healing people. He's been teaching some amazing things. He's been butting up against the leaders, saying, hey, you guys have got it all wrong. He challenged people. But the religious leaders didn't like that. And it's led into his death. And we're just at the point after Jesus has been crucified and nailed to a Roman cross, where he died and was put in a tomb. 
The tomb was sealed with this huge, heavy stone. And last week we saw how three days after he had died, the the stone was rolled away, and in the tomb what was left was a pile of linen. Jesus' body was wrapped in linen, but all that's left is linen, and there is no body there. That is where we've got to. And from this week onwards, what we're going to see is how we meet various people who come to meet and see Jesus alive, risen from the grave, from the tomb, no longer dead, to show us, look, this is God's big plan. This is what it's all about. And today we meet this Mary, Mary of Magdalene. And through her, we see one of the reasons why Jesus had to die and rise again. Why Jesus did what he did at the cross and the tomb, and why those truths are so central to the Christian faith. That is what I want us to see today. And it's one simple thing that I want, I want all of us to keep in our minds as we read this story, as we go through this story, is to see this. How do we move from sorrow to joy? How is it that we move from sorrow to joy? Because if you listen to this encounter of Mary, it's a simple scene. It's pretty obvious, I think, where she moves from sorrow to joy. And we sort of get that, I think, in our hearts. Because I think in the world we live in, we want to do the same. We want to move from sorrow to joy, don't we? We want to move out of sadness and hurt and pain into happiness and laughter. From war, which we were remembering earlier today, to peace. We love those sorts of storylines, don't we? I mean, it's the storyline of so many movies and TV shows. There's a huge dip, there's some sort of big enemy, something goes wrong. And the longing is towards joy, towards this place where that sorrow doesn't exist anymore. Disney is all about that. Lion King, Little Mermaid, Aladdin. Last week we had a whole new world. I'm not going to do it this week. Frozen. If you don't like Disney, let's go to Marvel. The Marvel series is the same. Thanos, Brick Destruction. I hope I'm not spoiling it for people, but the Marvel team wins. It'll save you about 20 hours of watching. Yeah. <laughs> but look, these are all fiction. But they reflect something of the reality that we long for, that we hope for. The reality is that we, I think we are often surrounded by sadness and sorrow, worry and concerns. Things like war, energy crisis, economic inflation. Things within, broken relationships, physical and mental pain, addictions and vices that grip us, even death. I saw a pastor friend uh, this week just gone who's at another church. He's been there for about a year and a half, same, about the same as me. And he told me the last two weeks had been some of the hardest in his life. He'd had to take two funerals. One of a couple who'd been there for 40 years and died in a car accident on the way home from holiday. And another, totally separate, the sudden death of a 13-year-old girl in their church. He was finding it so hard. That sorrow is real. That is the reality that we so often live in. And the world says, look, we spend so much energy, so much time, so much of our resources to try and get out, to try and find some joy, some hope, like a hamster on a wheel, we're chasing and chasing to get away from the things that suck, to get away from that sorrow. We try and forge some new reality that might make us think, actually, things aren't actually that bad. And what I'd love us to see is that how... Through this encounter with Mary, we see where real joy is found. It's not something that she conjures up herself, that she tries to discover for herself. 
like we try and do in this world. Actually, it's a joy that comes to find her, that meets her in her sorrow and in her pain. Now, if you don't know a lot about Mary, let me tell you about what she's like. She was a troubled woman. In Luke's gospel, another gospel just before John, in Luke chapter 8, it mentions how she was once demon-possessed. That's just to say that the Bible makes it clear that there is a spiritual realm that is real. Spiritual oppression is real. And it can often be the reason for the darkness and the oppression that we feel in our lives and our minds and our hearts. And that is exactly what Mary was going through. She would have been in so much pain, so much darkness, until she met a man called Jesus who freed her from it, who gave her hope. What else could she do but follow this man? So she spends the next few years of her life following this man and with his 12 disciples. She saw so many things that Jesus did, so many incredible things. She heard so many great teachings from Jesus. She was somebody who loved her Lord and her master who was so committed to following him. Even when Jesus was crucified, many of the male disciples had fled. But who was there? Mary. So can you imagine how she might have felt watching Jesus die? The one who had freed her from from her oppression, who had taught her so much, who had cared so deeply for her. She sees him dying before her very eyes. Blood and water flowing out from him. She watched at the foot of the cross as Jesus breathed his last. There she is. She thought she'd escaped it, but she's back in that reality, one of death and sorrow that we so often feel in this world. That is all she knows. Her reality seems to be In everything, it just seems to end in death, a reality that's infused with sorrow and tears. It's sort of like this, um, hey, look, this blue thing. I brought this blue thing just to try and illustrate the reality that we live in. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Okay, apparently this toy is indestructible. We can, let's try it, let's try it. Um, This is what it feels like. This is our reality, sorrow and despair. Every time we try and push it down, it kind of pops up somewhere else. So then you try and push, ooh, this is, ooh, there you go. So, but but this is the point. You keep trying to push it down and it keeps coming back and back and back. That is the reality we live in. It's quite fun. Um, Aldi, 4.99. There you go. Uh, But that's the point I'm trying to illustrate. That's the framework of the reality that that she lives in and we live in. One that we try and push down and get away from sorrow and despair, but it keeps coming back. And in that reality that she lives in, she then approaches the tomb. But as she approaches, the stones rolled away. She's like, what's going on here? But within, within that reality that she lives in, how else can she understand this but to think somebody has taken his body? She says it three times in this whole chapter. If you flick back to verse 2, She says it as she runs back to Simon Peter and this other disciple. She says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. She says it again in verse 13, again in verse 15. Those are the small numbers, by the way, if you're you're trying to keep track of that. So you you see how she sits in this reality of sorrow and death. And so the only explanation she has in her mind is that somebody has taken his body. But here's what I want us to see. Three simple things that God shows us to show how he has broken into that reality, how he moves us from sorrow to joy. The first one's a bit longer, the second two are definitely shorter. But here's the first one. God brings in a new reality. 
God brings in a new reality. Have you ever gone down YouTube black holes? <laughs> I have lots of times. Do you know what I mean? When you click on YouTube and then it suggests another thing and another thing, you just keep going. Um, I've, I really like falling into the black holes. You know when those soldiers, they return home and they surprise their family. Have you ever seen those ones? See, lots of you have, you all know it. I love those videos. But the ones I really like are the ones when they, they suddenly appear, the, 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 man, the man or the woman, they appear and say their child's standing there, they're doing something, they're playing table tennis or something. And they turn and they look and you can see their brain whirring. They're going, hang on, I know this person, but why are they here? In the reality that I know, they shouldn't be here. And then suddenly, slowly, slowly it clicks and then they see it. And then they say, mom or, or dad. And you see that moment of joy Tears streaming down their face, they run and jump into their arms. See, the reality of death and sorrow is the reality that you and I will have lived in from the day of birth. That is that reality that we sort of know. That's how we understand the world. But we need to understand this. God never intended it that way. The Bible makes it clear that in the beginning, actually, God made everything really good. Everything was very good. But into this world came something called sin. You may have heard of this word before. But that isn't just about breaking some rules or chasing some guilty pleasures. It's much more than that. It's about our hearts that have turned away from God, the very God who gives us life, who gives us meaning, who gives us joy. And so from that day, the moment that sin entered into the hearts of humanity, creation was fallen and we stood outside. Humanity stood outside of God's presence. And ever since then, we have experienced this reality of death and sorrow. That is what this reality reminds us of constantly, that there is a deeper problem at stake. And that starts with our hearts, hearts that are rebellious to God. And that is the same reality Mary is reminded of as she stands before the empty tomb. And as she does, John wants us to show us two things, two ways that Jesus has got to that problem in our hearts. Let me show you. Here is Mary weeping as she peers into the tomb. And there she sees who? Two angels. Now angels are messengers of God who appear throughout the Bible to point to some reality, to some truth about God. And they ask this simple question, woman, why are you crying? And what has she answered? They've taken my Lord away. There she is, still in that reality. But notice this little detail. Do you see the way John describes the way they were sitting? One was sitting at the head and the other at the foot. John always does this. He includes these sort of random details, but that aren't really random. They're very important. Because there, you're supposed to picture something deeper that, that points us back to something that we might have heard in the Old Testament about a place called the mercy seat. Now, if you don't know what the mercy seat is, let me explain it for you. Let me, let me show you where it is. In, in Exodus 25, it says this. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide, here's a cubit, and make two cherubim, that's two angels, out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. See, in the, in the Old Testament, the way it works is that God would relate to his people. He would dwell with his people through the temple. The temple was God's house, his dwelling place. And right at the center of the temple, the heart of the temple, was a place called the Holy of Holies. And right in the middle of that was this mercy seat. It was sort of like the throne, if you, if you will. And there was where you would see the visible presence of God. 
But here was a reality for the people of God. They were never allowed in there. The reality that they were in was because of their sin, they could never stand before a holy God. They could never see him face to face. They could never come into the presence of the one who gives life, who gives meaning, who gives joy. The only way was through a sacrifice performed by the high priest. And they had to do that every year. But do you see here what John's pointing to? The new reality. Because where is Mary? She can step right in now. She can step right into the presence of the mercy seat. And in a moment, she's going to see the visible God, Jesus, face to face. Because of everything that Jesus has done. The great high priest who performed that perfect sacrifice to deal with her sin, our sin, once and for all, by laying down his own life. So that people like Mary, people like you and I, could walk right into God's presence once and for all. But she doesn't still quite see it. So this time Jesus comes himself. And he asks that exact same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? She still can't see it. She still sits in that reality of death and sorrow. And so she says again, if you've taken him away, let me know where he is so I can go and get him. And she thinks he's the gardener. And here John gives us that second hint of this new reality. We saw last week this language of garden is to make us think back to creation, to the garden of Eden. See, the garden of Eden, everything was so very good until that very first gardener, Adam, failed. Where sin entered his heart and everything went wrong. It was meant to be a place, the reality was meant to be one of life. But instead, humanity now faced the reality of death and sorrow. Until this moment here. Because here is the new gardener, the new Adam who brings in a new reality. Where the first Adam had failed, Jesus, the second Adam, succeeds. Because he lives that perfect, sinless life. And at the cross, he takes on our our sinfulness and he gives us his sinlessness. He unclenches that grip of sin and death that's been on us ever since Adam's time. And once and for all, as he rises from the grave, he breaks us free from that fallen reality of death and sorrow to usher in a new reality of life and joy. See, here is Jesus calling you. He's saying, look, don't stand outside the temple. Don't stand outside my house anymore, but come right in towards my throne room, towards the mercy seat. Come and see me face to face. Here is a new gardener who has trampled over death's sting to reveal a new reality. Where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. One that is full of life and joy. So will you listen to Jesus? Look at the reality we live in that points to this deeper brokenness of our hearts. The sorrow that comes from sin and come before Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus, my heart is filled with brokenness and sorrow, but I want to come to you into this new reality that you call us to. This is the promise of the Christian life. This is the hope that Christians live for. This is why the Christian life is one filled with joy. That's why we sing joyfully. Because this is ours today, and it can be yours too. But let let me push a little bit further. Here's the second thing. We need to get this. The call is really specific, because he knows your name. Jesus knows your name. You know those, those homecoming videos I was talking about? When the soldiers return, it's not a sort of parade where they sort of wave to loads of people. 
but they always come home to someone specific, to their child, and they say, look, I'm here. It's me. See, it's funny. Mary, I'm sure, would have known Jesus' voice, surely. She'd been with him for many years. And I don't think Jesus would have been putting on a voice, woman, why are you crying? I don't think Jesus would have been doing that. But until this point, her reality is still in that shadow of death and sorrow until there comes this beautiful moment in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus calls her name. All that he has achieved through his death and resurrection suddenly become clear and so real for Mary. We need to get this. See, Jesus, he knows your name. He calls your name. He says, come, open your eyes, open your ears, see me and hear me because I have brought in this this new reality with the scars on my hands and my feet. I can show you all that I've done. It's all finished and it's for you. I'm calling you by name to come to me. If you've ever been to a big concert, you you know someone like Ed Sheeran or something, if you're a big fan. When you get there, it's quite funny because I've never been, but I can imagine. Everyone's screaming and shouting, going, Ed, Ed, as though you know him. Ah, okay, Ed, Ed, yeah. And then you, as he comes by, you're like hoping, oh, please, please, would you sign it? Ed, Ed, Ed. And he comes, he signs it, maybe, if you're lucky. He doesn't know you. He has no idea who you are. He just wants to get home as quickly as possible. He signs it and he goes. But look at Jesus. He doesn't come for some gigs or play a few songs. He's the creator of the universe. He is the the theme tune of the entire universe. He has created billions and trillions of people throughout history. The stars that Anaya was talking about, he's named every single one of them. Why would he notice you? Because he loves you. Because he knows your name. Because he made you. He knows your thoughts, your desires, your heart, your sorrows, your joy. Jesus knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knows your greatest need. To be broken out from this reality of death and sorrow into this new reality of life and joy. See, I know for a fact, for some of us sitting here who would say, I follow Jesus, if I asked you, I'm sure all of you would say, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jesus knows me. And my call is this, if you're not following Jesus yet, Maybe that's why you're here this afternoon. Because you need to hear Jesus calling your name. So my question is this, will you respond? Will you respond like Mary does here? Because as soon as she hears his voice, Mary, Rabboni, teacher, she says, yes, it's you. I'm here as your disciple. I'm here to follow you. Hear his voice calling your name. Come to him. Come and kneel at his feet as Mary does. Come and say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. He knows you. He died and gave his life and rose again for you. Will you come to him? Now, if you're still a bit unsure, if you're still hesitant, then let me give you one more go. Here's the last thing. Here's what this reality means. It's not just that he knows us. It's not just that we come into God's presence now. But Jesus says, what's mine is yours. That is his promise. What's mine is yours. Sometimes when I go around um, close friends' homes and I go to visit, they say, oh, make yourself at home. You've heard that phrase before, right? It's a nice thing to say. I get, I get what they're doing. 
but it sort of keeps reminding me, actually, this isn't my home. Plus, I'm not sure they'd want to really see me acting as though I'm at home. But that's sometimes the image we have of what God has done, calling us to a place called heaven. We sort of imagine fluffy clouds and candy floss, a bit like Super Mario Land. Hello! Um, (laughs) Where we just sort of take our place in God's home, and Jesus says, oh, come make yourself at home. But that is not what Jesus is saying. This new reality is so much more. Let me show you. Look at verse 17, and look at what Jesus says to Mary. He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Let me just help you understand the first bit about him ascending. Jesus has risen, and then he's, he's been telling people throughout, I need to go to be with my Father in heaven. And so what Jesus is simply saying is this, look, Mary, don't cling on to me. I haven't gone to be with my Father yet, but I'm going soon. So you need to go and tell the disciples that I've risen, that I'm going to be with my Father, so go. And this is just a quick side note for us who are following Jesus. That is a call for us. Don't just cling to Jesus on your own, but go and tell people. Go and tell your brothers and sisters that Jesus is risen, that he lives. Why? Because we want people to know the reality that Jesus has brought in, but particularly this next bit. As Jesus says, look, go and tell my brothers I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. See, Jesus is the Son of God who has this very unique relationship. He's the only one who has ever been able to call the God of the universe his Father. But now in this new reality, Jesus doesn't say, look, make yourself at home, but he's saying to us, look, what's mine is yours. My dad is your dad now. He opens up this relationship that he's had to his followers, that we might also have this intimate family relationship with the God of the universe, the God who made and owns everything. See, this new reality isn't just that we come into this new place, not just even that we stand in the presence of God, but it's to say that God, we can call him Father. If you flip that around, if we we can now call God our Father, it means that he has adopted us as his children that we are now his sons and his daughters. I am now a child of God. The God who made the sun, the moon, and the stars, the one who has made billions upon billions of people throughout the ages, looks upon you, looks upon me, and says, I know your name, my daughter. I love you as my child, my son. That is exactly who Mary is now, a daughter of God. Because Jesus died for her, rose again for her. Because he knows her and he calls her into this new reality to say, look, what's mine is yours. My dad is your dad. My father is now your father. So friends, we need to listen. Listen to Jesus calling your name. Telling you to come, to step out of that reality of sorrow and death. To acknowledge the sorrow of sin in our hearts and to bring them to Jesus to see how Jesus has dealt with them once and for all so that we can now step into this new reality with him. Come and call him Rabboni. Come and call him teacher. Commit your life and say, I will follow you from this day onwards and follow him into this new reality that he's ushered in. One without sorrow and tears, but one that is now filled with life and joy where we can call the God of the universe 
my Father. Will you respond to this call this afternoon? Will you respond? Let me pray together. Father, we look to your precious Son, the Lord Jesus, who has made this reality true, who has turned our reality of death and sorrow into one of life and joy. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for all that he has done, how he gave his life, how he's conquered death, how he knows us by name. Father, please, would we respond to his call this afternoon? Would we come to his feet and call him teacher and commit our lives to him? Father, if we're not doing that now, may you guide our hearts, open our hearts to see Jesus for who he is, for all that he has done, to know that he says to us, what's mine is yours, that his God is our God, that his Father is our Father. Please help us to see that this afternoon, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.